Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. All right, well today I want to talk to you about stiff necks and golden calves. Stick Stiff necks and golden calves. And we were early in our marriage, three years in, I really felt like I needed to make a career change. And I prayed about it and I really wanted to develop my life in a way that I could be more effective for Christ. And I was, I was an engineer and I wanted to get into sales. I thought I need to be more bold and be able to speak to people I don't know if I'm going to be effective for Christ. And that's what was on my mind. And I, I interviewed and I wound up taking a job in South Florida, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And we got to come to West Palm Beach. I went into chemical sales and I started my job and I didn't know anything about being a salesperson. My dad was a salesperson. We kind of have it in our blood. Amen, Sarah. And we kind of who we are, and I thought, I want to learn how to do that, and I, I went out and I began the process, and I, I started to try to develop relationships with customers, I tried to sell, and things were going okay, I thought. But have you ever had one of those meetings with your boss that kind of blows up how good you're doing? I, I, my boss came down, and he rode with me, and and. Uh, I mentioned that we just lost that customer. And I guess I did it kind of flippantly. And he said to me something like this. Well, it took him about 45 minutes to say it, but in the process, it was something like this. You do that again, you're fired. You ever had that happen? And I thought immediately in my mind where you think things in your mind, I thought, you know what? I was just thinking... Was I strong enough to kick him completely out of the car while we were going on the route? I was thinking, I've got to get rid of this. This is the meanest thing anybody's ever told me. Does he not know that I'm a successful individual? Does he not know that I have an earned degree in engineering? Does he not know that I've been successful at most things I'm doing? What is he doing sitting there telling me that I might be fired? I was furious. And as you know, when you get furious at your boss, the best thing to do is Lots of thoughts out there, I hear them. The best thing to do is to remember you have a mortgage. <laughs> Amen? And you have a little baby and a beautiful wife, and you got responsibilities. So I did not throw him out of the car. He was a rather large man, would have been hard. But I was kind of shattered. I was offended. Did he not recognize my efforts? Did he not realize how hard I was trying and, and how great I was? No, he did not. You do that again, you'll be fired. Hurts, doesn't it? You know, in our marriage, Julie and I have been together. It's our 36th year, praise God. Congratulations, Julie, for that. 36, this is our 36th year. We just had our 35th anniversary last fall. And um, one of the things we do in our marriage is we like to cheer for each other. And... Um, she does the laundry, I thank her for that. She took the basket down to the river and beat the stone and the rocks against the, you know, all this stuff. No, she didn't. We, we do have a washer. It's not much, we don't have much else in our house right now because we're getting a remodel. But, um, 
But anytime that we do something, hey, I want to show you, right? If I, if I actually go and, and replace all the light bulbs in the house that are burnt out, I go get Julie. And I go, honey, see, look. You can see stuff. And you know what she does? She says, honey, that's amazing. That is incredible that you did that. And that's a great thing to do in a marriage because it wasn't always that way. When you're early in your relationship, I can remember days when I would come home from work on a Friday and she would say, honey, you know, our, our landscaping, our, our yard, it kind of looks like no one lives here. And I think that the HOA may come and get us at some point. And could we maybe work on that tomorrow? And then maybe we could do something with the kids. And then in the evening, we could go out with friends. And I started to just freak out. Do you not know that I've worked hard all week? And I, when, it, when I got to the point where I was about to lose it, I would say something like this. Don't you know that I'm doing the very best that I can? In other words, is it not enough for you? Now, she was being sweet. It wasn't. She was just, you get to the point, don't you appreciate all that I'm doing? And we're like that, aren't we, in human nature? I want you to notice I'm doing everything I can. And then when you tell me that's not enough, it just kind of takes you over the edge, right? I'm working hard, and my boss says, I'm going to fire you. I'm like, well, I'll push you out, pal. <laughs> Those are fighting words, right? That's how we are. And that's how. Some of the people were in Jerusalem when Stephen began to talk to them about who Jesus is. You are attacking our very lifestyle. You're attacking our heritage. You're attacking everything that we've given up. Who are you to do that? Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, is the story of Stephen. The title is Stiff Necks and Golden Calves, subtitled, Be a Stephen, Not a Stoner. Don't laugh. Be a Stephen, not a stone thrower. Let's go with that. Because I know all you people back from the 60s and 70s, you're going, yeah, man, I, I won't be a stoner. Not anymore, right? Um, be a Stephen, not a stone thrower. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men and said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and they seized him. They brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses against him. This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Here's Stephen. If you remember last week, we talked about Stephen and six other men were chosen by the apostles to carry out some ministry that the apostles weren't able to oversee because they were focused on prayer and preaching the Word of God. And they laid their hands on them and they sent them out to represent them and actually to extend their authority and their ministry in the community. And Stephen was one of those. And 
He's out and He's not just helping widows get fed and cared for. He is proclaiming the Word of God. And God is doing amazing things through Him. It, you know, it says that He's doing great wonders and signs. And this is the same language as was describing Peter and the other apostles. And so He's, he's probably healing people. He's doing amazing things. And He's proclaiming the message of Jesus. And this irritates some people. Because he's preaching the same thing that Jesus preached. He's talking about things like the fact that, you know, this temple cannot save you. As a matter of fact, this temple has been replaced by Jesus Himself and now by His church as His body where His Spirit now dwells. The, the people of God are the where people connect with God. It's through the church. It's not the temple anymore. Very offensive words to those who worshiped in the temple. Those who came back, no doubt, to worship in the temple. The people that were mad at him are all basically a group called Hellenists. The people of the synagogue of the freedmen were probably freed slaves from another part of the known world at that time. And remember, the Jews were scattered around the known world between the well, really from the exile until the time of Christ through different regimes that moved them around in order to kind of dilute their power. They learned different languages, and many of them returned or tried to return and reestablish their life in Jerusalem, and they had learned the language of the day, which was Greek, and so they were known as Hellenists. But understand, they had given everything to come back and live in Jerusalem, and to live under the law, and to practice the law of Moses, and to be known really for how good they are or how well they practice the law. The fact that they could worship in the temple, and here's Stephen saying, worship in the temple isn't enough. What you're doing is not good enough. Matter of fact, it's been replaced by Jesus Christ. And this law that you're trying to keep, as great as it is, you can't keep it, but there's one who kept it perfectly, who paid the price for you, and it's, it's Jesus Christ. So the temple that you worship, actually they kind of did worship the actual temple, and this law that you're trying to keep is not enough. And this Moses you keep talking about is awesome, but there's another Moses, a way better Moses. His name is Jesus Christ. This is what he was proclaiming. And they're like, we can't tolerate this. We can't have this. And so they instigated people to come against Stephen. And first they tried to debate him, and that didn't work. They failed, were defeated. And then they stirred up the people. And this is really the first time since the crucifixion that the people are stirred up against God's people. General people, they've, they've stirred them up to say how awful it is that Stephen is proclaiming this message that goes against their tradition. And they stir up the leaders and they bring Stephen before the council. So reminiscent of Jesus, isn't it? They got false witnesses stirred up the council, they drag him in there to answer for his claims about the temple and about Moses. But something happens. Here's Stephen ready to give his defense and his face starts to appear like the face of an angel. Now I know some of you guys are handsome. No, I don't, I don't see any of you He's, but his face is, looks like an angel, which means it probably it's starting to glow. It's starting to have a, a sheen, a glory about it that's supernatural. When did this happen before? 
When did this happen before? Moses, chapter, Exodus chapter 33 and 34. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain and when Moses would come out from meeting with God at the tent, his face would have a glow about it. So much so that Moses' face had to be veiled. Pretty amazing. And so when Stephen's about to give his defense, God provides this glow about him that would have said, this man is going to start speaking about Moses and his face is going to glow like Moses, so you ought to listen to him as you should have listened to Moses. It's a powerful thing that God does. It's really hard to discredit Stephen when his face is glowing like Moses. Chapter 7, verse 1 says this, And the high priest said to Stephen, Are these things so? Now, Stephen's about ready to get to address all the council and all the people and all the the leaders. See, all that had happened to him was given him the opportunity to proclaim the message of Jesus. All of the things that had gone on, all of the challenges he had faced, and now he's able to proclaim the message of Jesus in front of the council. And he does. He He actually gives the longest speech in all of Acts. It's like 50-some verses long. And Stephen begins to tell them the history of Israel in light of a couple of things. Key points that he makes. This is what's happened to you. All of Israel, the first thing he wants to tell them is, listen, God created you. It's a supernatural act of God that you even exist as a people. Remember, he called Abraham out. And he told Abraham, you're going to build a great nation. You're going to birth a great nation. He says, my wife is too old and she can't have babies. And God brings about the fact that she does have a baby, that she has Isaac. And Isaac has Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And they become a huge family of around 75 people. But not only did God initiate and create them, but God sent rescuers to them. One of Jacob's sons was a man named Joseph. And Joseph was hated by his brother because he had the favor of his father. Remember that. He was hated by his brothers because he had the favor of his father. And they hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. They rejected Joseph. And he goes into slavery, but through the hand of God, he becomes second in command in all of Egypt. And he's strategically placed there. And God, through a dream, tells him there's going to be an incredible famine. And so Joseph prepares Egypt and the surrounding region for this famine. And in the end, Joseph gets to rescue his family, the ones who rejected him. Pretty amazing. He could have wiped them off the face of the earth. He had every right to do that. It's a great picture of early God's grace in the Old Testament. Here's Joseph who could have got his revenge on his brothers. But instead, he rescues his family. The one who is rejected rejected, does the rescuing. And so, the family of Abraham, Jacob's family, they move to Egypt. Joseph provides for them. They thrive. They become a couple of million people probably over 400 years. And the time comes for God's promise to be created, to be completed. And, and God leads His people out of Egypt or it comes time for him to lead his people out of Egypt, and he does so through a man named Moses. But Moses had been rejected as well. Moses had been miraculously 
kept alive by his parents. He winds up in the household of the king Pharaoh. And after, when he's about 40 years old, he sees an issue happening between an Egyptian and an and a Israeli. And, and in the midst of that, he's, he rescues, he intervenes, he rescues the Israeli, but then the Israelites don't want to follow him. And the next day they say to him, who are you to lead us? And Moses is rejected. 40 years in the wilderness. And then God, through a burning bush, calls Moses to come back and rescue those who rejected him. He leads him out miraculously into the wilderness and across the Red Sea. And the Egyptian nation is plundered. The army is destroyed. And you would think at this point that the people would follow him and would think, Moses, you're the most amazing leader. We'll do whatever you say. But then Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. And while he's up there, receiving the instructions of God for the people, what do the people do? The people say, where is this Moses? We don't know if he's coming down. I think we should build a golden calf. In verse 41 of chapter 7, Stephen says this, And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol. And get this, they were rejoicing in the work of their hands. Take that in for just a moment. Here's a people who were supposed to be worshiping the one true God, who were being led by Moses. And what happens? They were rejoicing in the works of their hands. This is how we are as humans. I need for you to acknowledge my ability to do something. I need you to abolish my, to to, to acknowledge my greatness. That's what I I need you to do. And they're saying, we need you to rejoice. We're rejoicing the work of our own hands. This goes back to the Garden of Eden, right? Where the serpent says to Eve, listen, if you take the forbidden fruit, you're going to be like God. You're going to be exalted. You're going to be seen as great. They rejoiced in the work of their own hands. Humans constantly want to be recognized and credited and even get glory for what they accomplish. This is who we are. This is why there's Super Bowl Sunday. Amen? I mean, this is why you try to win the Super Bowl, right? Because you want to be known for the rest of your life as a Super Bowl champion. And whichever team wins, the Cincinnati Bengals, whichever team wins, did I say that? I didn't mean to say that. But Whichever team wins, their players, their coaches, their front office, their equipment guys, even the guys that pick up the towels will be known for the rest of their lives as Super Bowl champions. And that's really what it's all about. Even the city they live in or come from, They'll be going around for the next year saying, ah, we are Super Bowl champions, even though they did nothing. They did nothing to win. And in fact, after the game tonight, if Cincinnati wins, anybody that disparages their team and says that Joe Burrow took steroids or he deflated the ball or whatever it is they did that they cheated, there's going to be fights over this. We desperately want to be credited for what we've done or even the people we're associated with. Steve, are you saying we shouldn't try to win? No, they should try to win. But understand this. 
Are you trying to achieve stuff to get glory or to preach the gospel? See, achievement should be all about preaching the gospel, living out what Jesus has done, helping people to know Him. That's what our achievement should be about. Constantly we're all saying, I want to be better. I want to win. Listen, if you want to win for yourself, you're really going to hate it when people discredit you. But if you want to bring Jesus glory, you'll have joy no matter what happens. You should try to win. But it shouldn't be about bringing yourself glory. It should be about bringing Jesus glory. The achievement should be all about proclaiming the message of Jesus. But if not, achievement is a very dangerous, addictive drug. And it becomes something you can never get enough of. The world screams, make yourself great. And the message of Jesus screams, apart from me, you can do nothing. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. Your work is wood, hay, and stubble. See, our calling is to make Jesus known, to make Jesus great. Stephen finishes his defense by saying this in in verse uh, 51 through 53. He says, you stiff-necked people. Now for us, a stiff neck is because we watch too many Olympics or we we stream Netflix too much, right? Oh man, my neck is... But spiritually being stiff-necked means I refuse to bow. I refuse to bow. I refuse to acknowledge you, Jesus, that I needed a Savior. And that's the most important thing in my life. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hard in the ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your Father did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels, and you did not keep it. Here's what he's saying. Listen, you rejected Joseph. You rejected Moses multiple times. And now there's an ultimate rescuer, Jesus. You rejected him as well. But he is the one who can save. He is the one who can save. I love that. Our tendency is always to reject the one who can save. You see, if you have a stiff neck, you're working on a golden calf. If you refuse to bow, you are building your own kingdom and you're longing for your own greatness. But if my goal in everything that happens to me is to bring Jesus glory, it changes my perspective completely. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you're a parent, you know that to have a child is a life-threatening thing, right? A woman literally gives away her body for nine months in order to birth this child. Some of you may have even nearly lost your life in delivery. And when you raise that child, you put in everything that you have. It costs you more money than you have. It costs you more energy than you have. It's more effort than you have to raise this child. And so when this child begins to do something, whatever it is, dance, play ball, or whatever it is, it's to bring you glory, right? It's the payback. 
Home run, praise God, it was worth it all. No. They grew up, they did amazing things. And what you want as a parent, naturally, is you want them to bring you glory because by golly, you've earned it. No. That's not why you raise children. You raise children to bring Jesus glory and to spread His Word throughout the world. As it says in Psalms, you shoot them into the world to bring the message of Jesus to people who haven't heard yet. Same thing is true in your business. Are you trying to be successful? Are you trying to build your career to bring yourself glory so you can tell everyone that you have achieved a certain level or you are making a certain amount of money, you've made a certain deal? Or are you bringing... Are you trying to achieve in business something that will bring Jesus more glory? You see, you can tell when someone starts to disparage what you're doing. I love how Stephen ends. It's an amazing ending. You know, most of us in the story, honestly, we all think we're Stephen, right? I mean, who are you identifying with? You're saying, oh yeah, I would do that. I would absolutely tell those people, you know, that they need, that they're bad people and they're stiff. Not... You know, most of us, though, really, we're the people Stephen's talking to. We're the people standing there with stones in our hands saying, I don't want to hear you disparage my life's work anymore. Here's what happens to Stephen, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of the Lord and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul, who parenthetically wrote half the New Testament. We hear about him coming up. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I want you to see the difference between those who stoned him and Stephen. For the people who stoned him, Stephen had questioned, if you will, their lifestyle. Questioned what they were living for. How they were living. The fact that they had killed Jesus. He was coming after them from a lifestyle and character issue but when they turned on him and they wanted to destroy him and discredit and condemn him what does he do there's no anger in Stephen rather there's just a prayer Lord do not hold this sin against them how do you respond when people try to discredit you for following Jesus? How do you respond when people try to discredit you for the work that you do? Or the way that you raise your children? Or the way that you carry out your life? Is it defense? Is it I want to throw you out of the car? Is it I want to get angry at you? Or is it God, don't hold this sin against them. Don't hold this sin against them you know i believe we're going to face more and more difficulty in this world people are not going to stand for it when you tell them who jesus really is my question for you 
Will you respond in anger or will you pray for them? God, even as the stones are flying, Stephen is saying, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. The only way that Stephen could do that was because he knew that even in his death, he was going to achieve his goal, which was to bring Jesus glory and to proclaim the message of Jesus. I would urge you today in everything that you do, because you needed a Savior, in everything that you do, live out and proclaim the message of Jesus. That no matter how people respond, you will be successful and you will have been faithful. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.